Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and God's tired creatures. Maybe that's including you. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch, and a bit tired too. <laughs> this is the first reading for November 29th, which is the first Sunday in Advent, which is also the first week in the Revised Common Lectionary of Year B. Happy New Year! That's right. Happy New Year in November, actually, so. <laughs> And the text is Isaiah 64, 1 to 9, a famous Isaiah text, a famous Advent text. And Rachel has some stuff that she's prepared to talk about. (laughs) Wait, set the bar low. I can only go up from there. (laughs) So what's your stuff? Oh, my stuff. Well, first of all, I think that if 2020 were actually to end in November 29th, nobody would really complain. Right. Personally. (laughs) So um, we're doing something a little bit different this Advent season in that I'm going to bring us all of the Advent texts because I have this idea that I'm working on, which is about tell Advent slant. And I'll say a little bit more about that in the moment. But just so you know, we're going to be kind of leaning into this idea, into this motif for all four weeks of Advent this year. So uh, get cozy with this idea. And part of it comes from this poem by Emily Dickinson. She has this beautiful poem that I've always loved called Tell All the Truth, But Tell It Slant. And it's really short, but it's it's profound. It says, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. And of course, Emily Dickinson was in 19th century, so you could change that easily to everyone be blind. But I just love that idea of telling the truth slant at an angle, not quite head on. And I'm wondering if Advent sort of needs to be told at a slant this year. If dazzling folks with hope and promise and waiting will kind of shine garish on eyes that are already sore from waiting Mm. and watching and hoping Uh because i mean you know it's been a year of advent and and i don't know about anybody else out there but my patience has worn thin that sounds really interesting i'm curious to see how you do that with this text yeah so one of the ways i'm going to suggest each week is that you do something unfamiliar every week do something that isn't quite the norm because Advent's not going to feel normal this year. And it's kind of like um, having that empty chair at a table after a loved one dies. Everything feels off. Everything feels different. And while it's good to do some of the same rituals and routines, it's also good to change things up a little bit. And so one of the things that I'm going to do today is just to say, lean into this Isaiah text. Um, You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about preaching the Old Testament. Surprise, surprise. The tagline. Yeah, right. Real real big surprise there. Tagline of the podcast. (laughs) But even more so than normal, I'm going to argue that preaching the Old Testament text for this first Sunday in Advent is a really helpful way to tell Advent slant. Let's do it. I'm on board. I, I thought you might be. So we are in Isaiah 64, which is third Isaiah. Remember, if you will, when we've talked about Isaiah in the past, we've had the warning that disaster is coming, and then disaster strikes. And so the second section of Isaiah is that comfort in the midst of desolation. 
This third section of Isaiah is actually a move to rebuilding. So that can seem a little awkward in this time period, but we're certainly not in the midst of rebuilding yet after this pandemic. Mm -hmm. But Isaiah 64 is nice in that it doesn't ring very loudly that rebuilding theme. It, it kind of almost seems to tip more back towards the comfort or the, the desolation, which is, you know, true to how traumatic experiences go. It's not a straight line once they're done. It's a, it's a stumble really out of them. Yeah. Show us, show us how that works then in Isaiah 64. Well, one of the things that's really important to notice about this is that it's a prayer. It, it's actually spoken to God by and on behalf of a community. And that's just Isaiah 64. When you broaden it out to its literary context, what you notice is that it's actually a dialogue, but a dialogue that comes in the form of lament. God speaks in Isaiah 63 verses 1 through 6. The community speaks in Isaiah 63 verse 7 through 64 verse 12. And then God speaks again in 65 verse 1. So we're really eavesdropping on an ancient conversation that God had with a community that had just experienced disaster. And if that doesn't sound relevant or resonant to our modern age, then you might as well stop listening to the podcast right now. <laughs> just kidding. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. <laughs> and if we need words to help express, you know, our part of our conversation with God, well, here's, here's mm -hmm. some that we might be able to borrow. Yes, exactly, exactly. As I said, this comes in the style of lament. And, and the sort of technical meaning of lament is pretty basic. It's just a cry of pain and petition to God. But one of the things that those petitions can do is to hold God accountable. Last year, about this same time, we had a wonderful guest on Dr. Tyler Mayfield from, I believe it was someone's alma mater. Who, who's Where was that? Where could that be? Oh, yes. My mm -hmm. alma mater, Louisville ah, Seminary. There we are. Louisville Seminary. He has a recent book out called Unto Us a Child is Born, where he takes these Isaiah Advent texts and he wrestles with them in a context that takes the Christian tradition seriously and the Jewish tradition seriously as well. On this text, he has a really nice line on page 168 where he says, the petition in Isaiah 64 is for God to appear, to right the wrongs, to act again in the lives of a desolate community. And I really like that because I think when we talk about petitions, sometimes it can sound like just asking for things. But this petition is like holding God's feet to the fire and saying, you know, God, if you showed up right now, this whole situation would go a lot better. Yeah, and it's it's not just asking for things. It's asking for God, asking God for God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really nice way to, to, to phrase that. And we see that right off the bat in that first verse. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. I mean, really, truly, you could do an entire sermon just on that first verse. You could use that first verse as a refrain that repeats throughout your sermon. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. You could build on this refrain, repeating it over and over so that it becomes almost a gift to people. It, it becomes language for the type of prayer that they might be needing at this moment in time. 
if you're feeling really creative, you could even address your whole sermon as a prayer to God. And listeners would be invited in to hear it, not just as proclamation to them, but for them on their behalf. You could talk about mountains. What are the mountains that you want to quake at God's presence right now? Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. So (laughs) that's one idea. And we're one verse into the text (laughs) right now. So as this conversation with God continues, it really is deep in this lament tradition. And then there's this shift in verse eight. There's this beautiful dramatic shift that happens and reaches out to God as father and as potter. And not pater is in like the German or the Latin <laughs> word, but no, that'd be vater. Anyway, father and pater. Earlier in second Isaiah, Isaiah speaks of God as pater and father and mother as well. And Paul picks up on this image in Romans 9. We have this image of God as our father totally prevalent in the Christian church today, mm-hmm. in large part, thanks to, you know, the Trinity and the Lord's Prayer, kind of important things in the Christian tradition. It's good to know, though, that this is a rather rare image in the Hebrew Bible, at least this explicit, to call God Father. But here, it's grabbed onto in a really important way because it is the justification for which God needs to bring help for our people. Mm. You are our Father. You are our Potter. You are the one who gave us form as a mother's body gives life to the form within her. So if things are going wrong, God, there's one place that you should be looking. It's both a beautiful image and consistent with that idea of holding God accountable. Mm -hmm. And it just goes back to the idea from Tyler Mayfield about the petition is for God to appear, to right the wrongs, to act again in the lives of a desolate community. That's really helpful because... I know a lot of people have trouble with, and I do myself have trouble with the overemphasis on the image of God as father, partly because of mm-hmm. the masculine nature of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you were right to hit on in this passage that calling God father is emphasizing the relation of dependence, mm-hmm. which was peculiar in the ancient world to fathers and their offspring. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. And I think you see that enhanced in the second part, because to be a father to a child, there's still kind of two parties going on there. In the second part, it's like, we are clay and you are potter. In other words, if anything's going to happen, it's got to be from the only being here who has hands, because clay doesn't have (laughs) hands that can actually do anything. (laughs) Nice. So I think those are a couple of, of preaching ideas. The last one just comes from this idea of lament. Um, I'm aware of the fact that most likely, if Christmas is anything like Halloween, it's going to be kind of an explosion of glitter (laughs) on multiple levels. People are living lament right now in so many ways, and they're really going to lean in, my hunches, to lean into that season of glitz and glitter and joy and comfort because it is comforting and because it is helpful in the midst of all of this. I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not judging that at all. I think the role of the church in the midst of this is to offer not necessarily a counter narrative, but an opportunity, a space where perhaps you can come to church and stop running from those laments, which seem to be overtaking you and just kind of sit with them for a little bit. 
Perhaps this first Sunday of Advent is a moment to tell Advent slant through lament. Doesn't mean you got to stick with it for all of Advent, but it's a good place to start. And it it's helpful to know that this conversation between God and God's people, 2,500 plus years old, is still a place where we can begin today. We can eavesdrop on this conversation and borrow its words to help us lean into Advent at a slant this year, perhaps through the lens of lament. Both the time of joy, but also a time of anticipation because of the sense of absence. Because of the not yet, exactly. Yeah, the, the already and the not yet come to this mm-hmm. sort of collision in the Advent season. And this is a yeah. great text to um, yeah. kind of welcome us into that space of naming the not yet, and especially in 2020. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that can be done in a really beautiful relational way in a church. Um, Sometimes in the church, uh, we like to say, we like to kind of bemoan the fact that Advent gets swallowed up by Christmas with pop culture. Uh, And I have, I I can sympathize with that. But I do think there is this movement, you know, Advent is 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 an active waiting, it's an active motion. And you can move with people from lament to hope, to joy. You don't have to leave them at lament. Maybe you end the the service with a a beautiful Christmas hymn. Maybe not one of the big joy to the worlds, but like, yeah, pull out that Christmas hymn early and help people, you know, give them that comfort in the midst of lament. I think you can do both. I don't think it has to be one or the other. Yeah, well, the the text of Isaiah, just like real life, is complex, right? And has has both of those uh, sides of the coin mixed together. Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks, Rachel. I think that really kicks off the Advent season in a meaningful and thoughtful way. So thanks so much for giving some prep there. Absolutely. Uh, Folks, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, We have more episodes coming up throughout the whole season of Advent. So uh, come back and take a listen to those. Share them with your friends and your preacher pals. And uh, hopefully this is a a helpful resource for you in this really unusual Advent season. Preacher pals, I feel like I could be a little toy. Anyway, sorry. Stocking stuffer. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching, preaching pals. (laughs) 